You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. Joining me as always is my co-host and editor-in-chief of the San Jose Hockey Now, Shang Peng. Shang, how's your night going so far? Uh, pretty good. Uh, just looking forward to my walk of Mushu. Okay, so I guess we better get on, get the show on the road because uh, <laughs> she is waiting. <laughs> we will not keep her waiting. Uh, she runs everything, Nick, if you don't uh, really get that about uh, San Jose Hockey now or my life. Look, Shane, I get it. Our children run our lives, whether it's fur babies or human <laughs> babies. That's, that's just how they operate. Uh, before we get into this episode, just a quick uh, shout-out to our social media handles. You can follow the podcast at Pod. You can follow the network at HockeyPodNet, and you can follow myself at NickFloor underscore. Shang? You can follow me at Shang underscore Peng and all my work at San Jose Hockey Now. All righty, folks. On this week's episode, uh, we're going to try to take early stock of the San Jose Sharks team coming back from a long road trip and, and you know, kind of dissect the team from what we have seen so far and just point out the things that we've noticed, you know, the you know, and specifically for th- things for you, the listener, that you should be looking forward to or looking for on the upcoming homestand from the Sharks. Uh, but before we do talk Sharks, Shang and I wanted to talk about the uh, investigation into the Chicago Blackhawks that was concluded and released Tuesday. Um, I do want to put out a trigger warning for those who may be sensitive to sexual assault triggers because we will be discussing them um, actually coming up next in the next section. So I just wanted to put that out there for those that uh, may not want to hear that or is sensitive to it. Now, uh, again, we do like to note that we are recording this on Wednesday night. I had to check the, the date. My days are all backwards. Wednesday night, October 27th. Um, so that's we're working with current information at that time. So we're just going to jump right into uh, that Blackhawks talk right now. Yeah, and well, this is obviously a story that's bigger than the sport, bigger than the San Jose Sharks if you missed it, the legal firm Jenner and Block, they released their findings of Kyle Beach's allegations that then Chicago Blackhawks video coach Brad Aldrich sexually assaulted him in 2010. Beach says the sexual encounter was non-consensual. Aldrich says it was consensual. Jenner and Block also found that the Blackhawks covered up Beach's allegations. There's no dispute about that. Uh, the allegations were made in May 2010 in the middle of the 2010 West Western Conference Final. Uh, that's the Sharks-Blockhawks Western Conference Final from 2010. And for three weeks until the Blockhawks won the Stanley Cup, uh, they allowed, the Blockhawks allowed Aldrich to carry on with the team, uh, keep working with the team, uh, see Beach at team events, Eventually, after the Blackhawks won the final, they allowed Aldrich to quietly resign without facing further investigation. And 
should take a moment here to note that here at the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, between Nick and myself, we believe the victims. And here's looking at you, Evander Kane. And if you watched Beach's interview with TSN reporter Rick Westhead, which all came out today, mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe uh, that you cannot believe him or that you don't believe him. And if you don't believe Beach, it's also worth noting too. After leaving the Blackhawks in 2010, Aldrich was convicted, and let me repeat that again, convicted in 2013, three years later, in Michigan, uh, fourth-degree criminal sexual conduct involving a student. And he's now on the state's registry of sex offenders. So there's so much to talk about here, of course. I do want to focus or talk about the San Jose Sharks aspect of this, first of all. And like I said, this is a story bigger than the Sharks, but it doesn't mean we can't address all the corners of this awful and very revealing story. And uh, yesterday at San Jose Hockey Now, I wrote a story yesterday on the Sharks' involvement in this story. Brad Aldridge, of course, is the son of Sharks' longtime equipment manager, Mike Aldrich. And the General Block Report noted that it was the San Jose Sharks organization's recommendation in 2008 that helped Aldrich secure the Blackhawks job. And uh, Brad Aldrich was a Sharks intern in 2005-06. The GM of the Sharks then, of course, is a GM now, Doug Wilson. And it's also very much worth saying that Sharks, current Sharks assistant coach John Madden was a player on a 2010 Blackhawks team. And Beach, Brent Sopel, and Nick Boynton, all members of that team, they've all stated that they believe every member of that Blackhawks team, you know, we're talking Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, John Madden, uh, were all aware of what transpired between Beach and Aldrich. Some members of the Hawks, notably Duncan Key today, have disputed that. So these are all things you're probably aware of by now, but it's important for us to put it out there again. Everyone involved, even in a small way, should face the light. It's worth noting that there's no proof that the San Jose Sharks were aware of Brad Aldrich's predatory nature when they recommended him to the Blackhawks. And I've reached out to multiple members of the organization during that 2005-06 season. And they recall nothing questionable about Brad Aldridge's behavior. And he was 22 back then. But I do believe the Sharks should still face questions. What did John Madden know in 2010? And did he talk to Jenner and Block? Or was he one of the 30 or so people who were contacted by the legal firm and refused to talk to them. And just for the record, I've been asking to talk to Madden about this for months now. And at the moment, we're awaiting the response from the San Jose Sharks for our latest latest inquiry. Mike Aldrich, of course, is in a whole different situation. By all accounts, He's a good man, and he's been a beloved member of the Sharks organization for 27 years. And I don't presume to know how to handle his dilemma, but I don't expect him to speak against his son, no matter his son's crimes, at least to the media. You know, he does have responsibility if he's put, 
you know, asked to, to testify or something, you know, uh, but to us, to the media, I, I don't think that that's, that's uh, something that he has to do uh, in this case. Yeah. Anyway, you know, we always say this when something like this happens, that it's a time for a reckoning. But there is no reckoning unless there are people willing to dig into what powerful organizations want to hide. And in this case, it was TSN's Rick Westhead and the Athletics' Katie Strang, more than any other reporter. So I do want to highlight them. And of course, more than anybody, more than any reporter, more than anybody at all, there's no reckoning unless you have someone brave enough to talk to a reporter and not back down. And that's obviously Kyle Beach in this case. He's the hero here. Love to say that nothing like this will ever happen again, but we all know that's not true, be it in hockey, sports, or any walk of life. So it's important to be vigilant and to support those who are digging for those uncomfortable truths and support those who speak uncomfortable truths, whether you like them or not, whether they're about another team or your team. Yeah, Shang, uh, I, I couldn't have said it better myself, really. It's um, when you boil it down to brass tacks, it comes down to hockey culture to me, which needs to change just period. There's there's a system that's put in place right now that is just covering up and protecting predators such as Brad Aldridge and dumping people to the side who need help. There's countless cases of people who have been put in the situation and, and you referenced the Vander Kane earlier and I thought it was poetic in a sense that all of these allegations just stay as allegations and the the people just find a way to, I mean, I, I, again, I can't say on record whether or not he's done something, but people just get away with it for them to allow him or in this case with Brad and Kyle, to allow him to continue being around him, to allow him to continue to traumatize him just by having his presence there is just sickening. And for Quenville to come out, for, for me, to come out earlier when this was reported and say that he knew nothing of it at the time, well, that's a load of bullshit. It, we just found out. You did. There was closed-door meetings about it. You literally put it off and brushed him to the side in Brad's actions and put winning a Stanley Cup above a person. And it's just vile. It's it's disgusting human behavior that needs to get cleaned up. And to say that I would be shocked at this would be a lie because we have seen countless times where teams have put winning above common decency and being a human being. Robin Leonard not being able to get the help that he might need. Just, you can go back. There are too many cases and unspoken cases that have yet to be brought up. You know, he also had, uh, Brad Aldrich also had an incident with an intern where the intern had, uh, they had took a taxi right. cab home. It was three weeks after uh, the Blackhawks discussed, not just three weeks after allegations, but three weeks after the Blackhawks had that meeting that included Quenville and Stan Bowman and a number of others where they discussed the Kyle Beach allegations. Exactly. And he made sexual advances onto an intern in the back of a taxi cab. And it's 
to know that someone like that you're just allowing to continue to stay with the team for reasons that aren't putting your people where they need to be is just I can't I can't say the word vile disgusting sickening more than it actually is to me and players just recently like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves who have come out and given their statements on what has happened and continue to back up the uh Stan Bowman the the GM at the time calling him a great man I'm sorry Patrick Kane but a great man does not do and a great captain and a great player does not allow what happened to happen I'm sorry actually no I'm not sorry like that you're not a great man in that sense you're not a great player you're not a great teammate you're not a teammate at all because you don't put winning above the health and the safety of your teammates that's just not how that works so for me it's this whole hockey culture this toxic misogynistic racist hockey culture that's out there just needs to be put to an end and honestly again praise from me to rick westhead and katie strength for for coming forth and doing the digging and helping put forth the work to bring this to light and thank you again uh, to kyle for coming forth and hopefully giving others that beacon of light to also come forth with their assault allegations or their assault experiences to get that off their chest you know just as a personal story for me one of my best friends who i'll obviously keep anonymous for his or her safety went through a sexual assault at a young age and for them to come forth to me was was good for me in the sense that I, they felt safe talking to me about it but knowing how much relief that they felt later and having that person essentially come to justice for what they did it's just inviting in a sense that I, we, we need more people to come forward and we also need people to do these full investigations. We need these third party investigations to come in and do a full dissection of what's going on or else this shit's not going to stop. So that's kind of my, my thoughts on the, on the subject and in a more diluted diversion or version of it, because I'm trying to keep myself as PG friendly as possible, but that I'm just disgusted by what's happened, honestly. Well, you don't have to keep yourself uh, PG, but the worst thing uh, is that when the Blackhawks really just um, they they turned a blind eye to it and they let Aldrich leave and go on to other organizations, and the proof there is in the the Michigan case in 2013 yeah. when he was convicted with a, a person younger than, than, than a Kyle Beach. And then to see tonight um, in the Kyle Beach interview, to see Kyle Beach cry and apologize to that, individ that, that, that individual that Beach wishes he did more at that time. And, you know, Beach going through all that he must have been going through. Uh, but Beach wishing that he had done more for, 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 for that kid. Um, it, it's sad. It's yeah. It's it's a it's a lot a lot a lot of words. It's uh sad. It's disgusting, and 
yes, you know, it's not just a hockey hockey culture uh, problem. And so far as this is the world that we live in, this is what we saw with Harvey Weinstein and uh, other, you know, incidents like that. But, you know, Nick, you and I, we're in hockey. And yeah. so we can be part of that change in this small world that we're in and help in this small world that we're in. Um, and, yeah, uh, anyway. Um, and... I guess I, I kind of want to end this with, and, and there's no real end to this, honestly, but um, I want to conclude our talk about it with inviting people to come forth, those in this situation. You know, I'd like to think that we as human beings are, are taking strides to become better, but you've said, like, it, it's, a, it's a human disease at this point. The Everything else that goes on, not even within hockey, but... For for me, whatever I can do to help a person would it whether it's like, hey, my DMs are open or any sort of support or or those who can, you know, if there's a, like a foundation for people to go to or if there's a group, a support group, whatever it may be, like feel free to to tag that support group. Um you know, make you know, comments on our on our Twitter page. Anything like that, DM us so we can put it out there, maybe on San Jose Hockey Now, to 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 do our best to allow the victims to come forth and and be believed, because too many times victims come forth and much like Kyle, they just get brushed to the side and get swept under the rug. And honestly, it's time for that to stop. And whatever we can do here at San Jose Hockey Now, the podcast, myself, I'm sure Shang as well, whatever we can do to help you come forth and be heard we have no problems doing well shang i know that wasn't a uh a fun talk but you know life isn't all sunshine and rainbows and it's definitely hasn't been for a lot of people but i think we have to we have to turn the page here and you know it might not be as easy for others as it is for us right now to turn the page to start talking actual hockey but um, I think it's I think it's just about time for us to actually start talking sharks, wouldn't you think? Yeah, let's uh, try uh, our best here. All righty. Well, the sharks for those who are are still listening, <laughs> just got off of a nice little home uh, not a homestand actually. They're coming onto their homestand. They got off a nice long road trip, made their way through the beautiful uh, eastern Canada, down into Boston, and then to Nashville, and. Um, we, we learned a lot about this team, Shang. You know, statistically, uh, non-statistically, we, we learned a lot about how this Sharks team is, one, going to operate this season and um, who may or may not be the re real deal. So I'll let you go ahead and get started with, uh, you, know, who, you know, who we're taking a look at first off. Yeah, the first guy that uh, I'll be looking for, looking at very closely on this homestand is Nick Benino. And to get to my point about Nick Benino, I'm going to first start talking about Logan Couture. And I wrote an article uh, today uh, titled uh, Three Sharks Questions That Can Make or Break the Season. And one of the things that I found was just how dominant the Couture line has been. And David counted for eight 
and that's uh, Logan Couture, Timo Meyer, and Jonathan Dolan. David counted for eight of Sharks forwards, ten goals at five on five. Eight of ten. And it's not just about the goals. Uh, per natural stat trick, the Couture line has produced 39 of the Sharks forwards, 74 scoring chances. More than half. And 25 of uh, their 41 high danger chances. So more than more than half. <laughs> right now, the Sharks are a one-line team. Yep. And that's not a, a winning formula. And to carry on the point about Dolan, Couture, and Meyer, they haven't just been the best line on the Sharks. They might be the best line in the league so far. <gasps> and this is looking at Evolving Hockey. Evolving Hockey has just 16 lines that have played 50-plus 5-on-5 minutes together this year. Okay, just 16 lines have played that much together. The Couture line leads this group with 7.97 goals per 60. They're second in this group with 43.8 8, 43 shots per 60. They've also allowed just one goal per 60. So imagine that. So for uh, every eight goals that they score, they allow one. At least that's, that's so far this formula. season. <laughs> that is a winning formula. <laughs> Can't argue with that. They've been more prolific than... Sam Bennett, Jonathan Huberdeau, uh, Owen Tippett, line in Florida. They've been more prolific than Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Wilson in Washington. More prolific than Garland, Horvat, and Pearson in Vancouver, just to name a few of the uh, successful lines uh, that have played together a lot this year. So we're going to the Stanley Cup, baby. Yep. Let's go. Going to Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Driven by Logan Couture, who's going to outscore Connor McDavid this year. Um, but anyway, yeah. so this is this is where we've got to be honest with each other, right? This line is yeah. going to come down to earth, and it's not, not through any fault of theirs. You know, this is how exaggerated our stats are right now. Last year, the Stone-Stevenson-Pacioretty line in Vegas, they led the NHL with 5.16 goals per 60. Okay, so the Couture line is at pretty much 8 right now. <sighs> and last year, the Perfection line in Boston, that's Pasternak, Bergeron, and um, blanking. Oh, Marshan. <laughs> How can I forget him? The rat. <laughs> the rat, yep. Uh and they tore up the Sharks on this road trip. They yeah. led all the lines with 43.5 shots per 60. So the Couture line is ahead of both paces right now, especially the goals per 60. So they're not only are they going to fall, but they're going to fall hard. And that's not on them. That's just the percentages. You can't expect them to carry the Sharks forever. So, yeah, no. Sorry, go oh. ahead. Go ahead, Shane. No, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say it did seem as though, like, the fire hands of Timo Meyer and Logan Couture, like that early season burst that they had, the exact same type of burst they had last season, is just being complemented more by a surprisingly well-adjusted Jonathan Dolan. I don't think anybody expected him to come in and produce as efficiently as he has so far. So. No, absolutely, yeah, definitely pile up the chances. And then you bring up a great point about Couture. You know, last year at this time early in the season, uh, or maybe, you know, a month or so in, we were talking about Couture, Evander Kane, and Kevin LeBanc. They were carrying the team then. Mm -hmm. Didn't last. 
So, you know, speaking more about the depth, and in my three questions article, I talked about Tommy Hurdle. And Hurdle isn't off to the best start this season, but he's Tommy Hurdle. And so I think there's good reason to believe that he'll find his game and he will be right there at the end, just like he was last season. He got off to a slow start last season. By the end of the season, he and Vander Kane were the best players on the team. But anyway, here's the reason why I'm watching Nick Benino. And the reason why I'm watching Benino is because I count on, I, or I, I trust that Hurdle will, will start scoring. I trust that Kator, if he can stay healthy, won't keep scoring at this pace, but he'll be good. Mm-hmm. So Benino, to me, is that pivotal guy. His line could be the difference between the Sharks being a playoff team or not, in my mind. Because if you have two good lines centered around Kator and Hurdle, that's great. But you need three good lines to make the playoffs. Really quick flashback, Shane. 2016 Stanley Cup. Who uh, who centered the third line for the Pittsburgh Penguins? That would be Nick Menino. <laughs> oh, okay. Just just checking. Just checking. <laughs> well, the problem is it's five years ago, and he's five years older. And yeah, yeah. I think that he has lost some degree of a step. Uh, if he hadn't lost a step, he wouldn't have signed for $2.1 million, obviously, uh, honestly. Uh, yeah. The 2016 Nick Menino is not signing a, a $2 million free agency offer. So. Well, that full line, the HBK line, wreaked havoc on the Sharks in the playoffs. But they I was did. just more or less speaking to uh, the depth that's required to not only be a Stanley Cup oh, contender, well, but yeah. to be a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, if you can bury uh, Phil Kessel on basically our third line, I mean, you're going to have a pretty good you, – you should go pretty far in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. So the, the truth is with – Nick Benino and his line is they haven't done a lot offensively so far. You know, save for the Ottawa game, uh, I don't think they've done a good job of tilting the ice in San Jose's uh, favor. And, of course, you know, Benino, he has the unenviable position of needing to tilt play and start in the defensive zone a lot. You know, he leads the Sharks in defensive zone face-offs. And that was sort of the role that he was brought into. Uh, they wanted to take a little bit of the pressure off of Couture and Hurdle. And he has done that uh, in that sense, but for hi- for for the San Jose Sharks to call his signing a success, though, he'll need to start creating, not just taking on the faceoffs, but creating some offense. And just in contrast, I don't always love the the Corsi stat, but I think here it does kind of illustrate the point in terms of what you want from a line, and. The Couture line has a Corsi of 56.3%, which means out of 100 shot attempts, the Couture line is getting 56% of them. So they have more of the shot attempts. And by proxy, they have more of the possession. Yeah. The, the the Nieto Bonino LeBanc line, uh, which is the most common one, in the last couple of games, Bob has went away from that. But that's a. Nick Benino's common linemates, most common linemates this season. They're at 46.27, which is not not awful, and actually better than uh, Tommy Hurdle's number and Jasper Weatherby's number, but that's a whole other discussion. Mm. Anyway, though, if Benino can push that past 50% and also get better chances, too, his line hasn't gotten a lot of high-quality chances, and they can score a little bit more, then, like I said, you have the makings of three solid lines. And that's the goal of any playoff team. And again, the reason why 
I'm focusing so much on your third line center here, your Nick Medino, who's done a nice job, I will say, to his credit, on the power play as a net front guy, and also on the PK. Um, he's done a very nice job in both aspects. But focus so much on him because I'm not sure about him. Yeah, I'm he's... sure about Hurdle. I'm sure about Couture. But Nick Benino, like I said, had a nice year in Minnesota last year. But again, let's look at what happened last year in Minnesota. He was sent to the fourth line. Uh, he started making some hay on the power play there, started scoring some points there. Um, but again, you know, this is not 2016 Nick, Nick Benino. And that's fine. The Sharks don't need him to be that. You know, to make the playoffs at least. If they want to win a Stanley Cup, they may need them to be that. But yeah. uh, if they want to just make the playoffs, they don't need them to be that. But they need the, a pretty close approximation of that. And, you know, one thing the Sharks don't have the luxury of, in my opinion, that Minnesota may have had last season is putting him down on that fourth line. That's true. Be- because who are you going to have fill that void? You ousted Gambrell to Ottawa for a seventh. And so you're basically kind of pushing your chips all into the the bones pile there, in a sense, because um, I don't think you're going to see Lane Peterson. I don't think you're going to see Cogliano come up, and I definitely don't think you're going to see Jasper Weatherby come up to be a a third line, a productive third line center for the Sharks. Um, but back to your point about the Corsi four, and while it may seem redundant, or, or some people might sit there and, and question it. Well, he's starting in the defensive zone. You know, you can't expect him to start there, move forward. And I'll take a look at um, just Philip Deneau last year for the Canadians. Again, like I can't, you can't expect Benito to be that caliber of player. But what you're doing is you're transitioning out of that defensive zone, and the course he goes directly with shots on goal, I believe, or shots shot essentially. Attempts. Yeah, shot attempts. You, ha- you have a higher percentage chance of getting an offensive zone face-off if you have a higher Corsi percentage. Because if the goalie makes a save, you now have a face-off in the offensive zone. So you're inadvertently giving the Couture and the hurdle line more offensive zone face-offs there, more ability to, to get your top two lines in the offensive zone and create scoring chances. So that's why putting him under that microscope is is warranted, in my opinion. It's something that... Uh, Sharks fans, while it might not be flashy to see, Sharks fans can look at that and just kind of hyper-focus under a magnifying glass, that third line, and how it can seesaw the Sharks' season and playoff hopes moving forward. Hey guys, just want to take a quick break to thank this week's sponsor. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL has you covered, NFL fans. All new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. And don't worry, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone, and that includes you listening right now, can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. It's simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win 
with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So another person, Shang, that we've kind of, I, I don't want to say we, everybody's looking at. Jack Hans looking at. Dom at the Athletic, he's looking at him. Evolving Hockey, Jay Fresh, everybody's got their eyes on who else but Eric Carlson. So what what are the uh, what do we have on the docket for Carlson this week? <laughs> well, for me, uh, what I'll be looking for in this homestand, and we didn't see it so much on the road, but my question is, will they use him more? And if you look at his, uh, his usage numbers uh, over his career, so right now, uh, they are using Eric at about 17 minutes, 17-13, uh, even strength time a game. That's a good number. That also is his lowest number at right now, his lowest average since his rookie season when he was at 18-23. Even last year when they cut his minutes, where they cut him off of the penalty kill, Carlson was still averaging 19-27, uh, even strength time. So they cut two whole minutes. And two whole minutes from last year, and about four minutes from his peak. You know, back in Ottawa, you know, he was used like a horse. He was averaging 21, 22, 30, 23 minutes, just on even strength. We're not even talking about his special teams time. So just on even strength. Now, I'm okay with them managing his minutes to get the most out of Carlson. That's fine with me. But this goes into the argument that some people have that Eric Carlson is back you want to tell me he's the number one defenseman? Then use him like one. I do think it is a good sign that they're using him on the PK again. He's a regular on there again, which he wasn't last year. I also actually think it's sensible, too. Um, his greatest defensive weakness, as we talked about with Jack Hahn on the podcast last week, is off the rush. And on the PK, you don't deal with as much rush stuff. Which, which I think makes Carlson, def uh, which is suitable for Carlson, because I think Carlson likes to defend going straight at people, which is what you do on a PK. And I will say, actually, that I think he's actually defended the rush better than he did last year. That's what Bob said a couple days ago, and I actually agree on that specific point. Uh, what I find lacking in his game, though, and besides the usage, which is not at a number one defense level, but I find his decision, his decision making to be hurting the team more than you like at the moment. And when I say decision making, it's not the defending the rush that's the problem. It's that he's making these up the ice decisions where he's leaving his partner on too many two on ones. So they don't become, he doesn't have to defend the rush because he's chasing the rush. And a good example of this is in Ottawa, the goal that they gave up there, when Carlson kept chasing, uh, retreating. This, I think, was the first period of that game. Uh, around center ice, Carlson is chasing Brady, Brady Kachuk, and Brady Kachuk is retreating. Carlson has no chance at, at that puck. It's not even a 50-50 chance. And so basically, Kachuk is luring Carlson down away from the goalie, 
Kachuk gets it behind Carlson. And Drake Batherson scored on the ensuing two-on-one. And just, you know, watch that clip. You know, you can blame a Sharks forward for letting another center's forward beat him up the ice for a two-on-one. For sure, for sure, for sure. But a play like that, when Carlson has no chance at the Kachuk puck, you know, he's got to hang back there. And that's just a good example. And this is the only example. It's not me cherry-picking the one example of Eric Carlson uh, going after puck when he shouldn't uh, this uh, so far this season. And actually, in virtually every game, I've, and I, I've put it in my notes. You can see it all in my game notes that I do during every game. Almost every game, there's been one instance of him chasing a puck and then there's an all-man rush going the other way. And that's one too much. So I think with Carlson, those are probably the, t- not, yeah, the two things I'm looking at. Uh, if they start to use him more like a number one defenseman. And also, too, managing his decision-making a little bit. Uh, I think that if he doesn't chase in those moments as much, and he still does the other things that he's good at, that he can still be an impactful, very good defenseman. Maybe not a number one guy anymore, but still a very, very good, very useful, you know, middle pairing-ish guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, look, he got older. He had a lot of injuries. It's not his fault he signed a contract that anybody would have signed if it was put in front of us. I just that's kind of where I see his game at right now. One hundred percent. If Doug Wilson asked me uh, to play the blue line for any denomination of money that was six <laughs> figures, you will see me donning teal. But um, <laughs> but but Nick, they're gonna hate you on Facebook for eight years. Okay, my bank account <laughs> will love me. <laughs> exactly. Um, I I think you know listening to you talk about uh, them essentially like load managing Eric Carlson, it's kind of funny for me, and I think. I don't want to say, like, I don't want to give credit where it's due, or maybe I'm overthinking this a little bit, Shane. You'll have to let me know. Mm-hmm. But I think they're literally load managing Eric Carlson just to prevent those two-on-ones. Just, like, Because the less time he spends out there, the less percentage of a chance that an odd man rush is going to happen against the Sharks goaltending. I mean, all, all too often, I feel like it happens, right? Now, of course, you have the Brent Burns and Mario Ferraro aspect, and yeah, he is coming off of injuries, not last season as far as Eric Carlson goes, but I do feel like that plays a role into his deployment because Bob Bugner's known to be a stats guy. Like the Sharks have they have an advanced stats like department. They're not dumb. They know that he's bad off the rush. So I'm sure there's some sort of decision making going on within the coaching staff that's saying, hey, you know what? If we don't play him 25 minutes a night, total 25 minutes a night, there's a better chance that we're not going to have so many odd man rushes coming back the other way. Well, what I'll say to that is that the Sharks, obviously, they they want to win. And if they thought that Eric Carlson was their number one defenseman, they would use Eric Carlson like their number one defenseman. Yeah, They think that Brent Burns is their number one defenseman. And no one is saying that Brent Burns is perfect. No. He makes a share of mistakes. He makes his bad pinches and that sort of thing. But yeah. Brett Burns has not been a direct result of as many odd-man rushes this year. That's just a fact. You can go back to every minute of tape and show me if, if, if he is. He hasn't been. And He's I take so these things in my it, stick. Like I, I, yeah, I, I take these things down with, in my notes. If Burns was the direct reason why there's an there's odd-man rush, I would have put it down yeah. in, in my notes. Uh, because those are probably the two guys I watch most closely on the defense, Burns and Carlson. 
So, yeah, so to your point, I mean, I don't think it's a direct thing where they're worried just about the two-on-ones and, yeah. and, and the rushes, but that's part of the calculation of why they do not think they don't treat Eric Carlson as their number one defenseman anymore. And I will say that with uh, Eric Carlson's uh, rostering on the Sharks, the Brent Burns slander is at an all-time low on Sharks Twitter So uh, and Reddit. So that that's nice to see because Brent Burns was the uh, on the receiving end of an onslaught of attacks for multiple years. But since the acquisition of Eric Carlson, Brent Burns has had a pretty nice life over there on the blue line. So just a... I want to point that bit out as well. Well, you got to, yeah, this is a good case of be happy with what you have and don't complain and bitch so much because three, four years ago, before Eric Carlson came, yet Brett Burns averaging a point a game and doing things that basically you've never seen a defenseman do in the NHL. And if people were complaining that much about him, and I'll say the same about Carlson too. Carlson in 2018 19, he was doing, still doing amazing, amazing things, and a ton of people still complaining about him, you know, and people were complaining about a team that, you know, in Burns's case, you know, 2018 second round team, and Carlson's 2019 case, Western Conference final. A lot of complaints about those teams. Look at where the Sharks are now. You know, you'd be happy, you know, thrilled to get Eric Carlson 2018-19, circa 2018-19 back. You'd be thrilled to get Brent Burns with his mistakes, circa 2016-17 back. Yeah, I think you. I think you got everyone there, Shang. I think you don't have a doubt about that. <laughs> but what about um? Let's talk about the power play a little bit, you know, specifically with uh, with Eric Carlson and what the Sharks have kind of been putting forth. Right. And uh, what I will be looking for during this homestand with the power play is whether or not the shot volume will continue. You know, that's something that Bob Bugner emphasized going into the season that this Sharks power play would be a shot quantity uh, power play that would be what their emphasis would be get shots on goal crash the net pretty basic uh, not so much of the cross slot pass trying to get that one timer and of course we've seen some nice one timer goals uh, Kevin LeBanc chiefly right uh, so it's not that they're not going to do that anymore but Excuse there's going to be that's Kevin Ovechkin Kevin okay. Ovechkin right <laughs> <laughs> so there's but there's so there's going to be emphasis on on just getting getting more shots on goal in general and I want to see if that continues. Uh, even though the team has stopped scoring on the power play, got off to a great start on there, but the last three games they haven't had a power play goal. And that's really important because, you know, when guys stop having success, and we've seen this the last two years with the Sharks, and it's been mentioned too, uh, when things don't work out, guys start going their own way, right? They start going off the page. And so it'll be interesting, interesting to see if the guys stick with the strategy. And the strategy, it looks like they stuck with it so far. Uh, through six games, uh, they are fourth best in the league in, in Corsi per 60, which is basically shot attempts per 60. And that's 122.3 uh, shot attempts per 60. That's a lot of shot attempts. So they are plying the other goalie with shots and shot attempts. And let's see if that continues. And I do understand the big picture that a shot quantity power play isn't necessarily the highest percentage one because you're taking a lot of low percentage shots on this kind of power play. But I think though that it is more important to kind of stick with the strategy that the coaches want because last year, I think the Sharks tried to be a little more creative with the power play with Rocky Thompson, tried to take advantage of, you know, what they were hoping was still a prime Eric Carlson, still a prime Brent Burns. And it led them to a uh, third worst 
third in the third worst in the league power play. Maybe trying to be a little too creative with things. You know, this year's power play may not have the ceiling of a Tampa Bay power play where they can do all the cross-slot fancy stuff and get the one-timers from Kucherov and Stamkos, that sort of thing. That Sharks, This Sharks power play doesn't have that ceiling. But if this Sharks power play can even get to average with this kind of shot quantity approach, then that's going to be a win. Yeah, I mean, we, we said that prior to the season starting. If the Sharks got average league average goaltending, if the Sharks got league average power play, they're in a significantly better spot with the chance of making the playoffs. So I'm sure they looked at that, much like many of us have looked at our fantasy football lineups and been, am I taking the boomer bust or am I taking the high floor? Am I am I gonna start Samaj P. Ryan hoping that he busts for you know after they explode on the Jets? Or am I gonna go with Tony Pollard and get the easy ten points? So I think in this in this the case for this season, the Sharks have decided to kiss in the sense that keep it simple, stupid, and and just put as many shots on goal and cause havoc in front of the net. And I know Drew Remenda loves it because you should hear him on the telecast, and he's just like, keep shooting the puck. So <laughs> I, I love it. Honestly, love it. So moving into our, uh, our favorite talking point, I think everyone's favorite talking point, um, unless you had something to say, Shang, um, William Eklund, the Geckland. Yeah, uh, here's an interesting uh, Eklund tidbit, and I know there's a lot, a lot of talk about his usage, uh, and also the fact that he got scratched against Boston. It's perfectly uh, no, fine with that, by the way. Me personally, that makes complete sense. Yeah, and I, I don't really have any issue with it. Uh, no forward on the Sharks except for Lane Peterson, Barrett Bonoff, and Gadjevich have had less defensive zone faceoffs than Eklund. And Peterson is a fourth liner and has played just, I think, four games. Barrett Bonoff just two games. Gadjevich just one. Eklund at five. But anyway, what this suggests to me is that they're protecting Eklund. They're trying to take him away from the defensive zone faceoffs and give, trying to give him more offensive zone faceoffs, at least more uh, higher percentage of them, which is exactly what they should be doing with a 19 year old kid who's still growing to his body and who's sort of offensive genius, but still needs to work in other areas of his game. And anyway, uh, somebody asked me on Twitter yesterday, you know, if I think Eklund should play more minutes. You know, he's averaging about 13 minutes right now, which is not a ton. Uh, worth noting, though, Jonathan Dolan is a, at about 14, so it's not like, you know, it's not like there's a huge difference there. Yeah. And obviously, Eklund has been brilliant at times, you know. And I, I've clipped, I've clipped it all over my Twitter. I've written articles about it. You know, yesterday he made the greatest sharks play i've seen this year maybe in more than a more than a year uh you know when he carried the puck up the ice slowed down at the uh, in the neutral zone waited for three predators to kind of converge on him and then he curled back and bounced past it behind the three predators to jasper weatherby and alexander barabanov for a two-on-one I literally said, oh, wow, with the moment <laughs> I, I saw that. And I don't usually have that kind of visceral reaction watching a game. Uh, that's not my you know my job to have those kind of reactions. You know, and Shane, I don't. The only time I heard you say, oh, wow, was when Daniel Gushin did that crazy goal in the uh, the little uh, skills showcase. Not the right. skills showcase, <laughs> but the rookie uh, prospect scrimmage when right. we were there together. I, the only time. You didn't say a word at all throughout the entire time. During play, and then you just, we saw that, and it was, oh, wow. <laughs> it was, 
<laughs> but yeah, so that that's that's the good. Um, but Eklund has also made, and not just against Nashville, but against other teams. And again, look 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 at my notes. I don't get every play that everybody does, but I get I try to do my best to get some of the the, the key ones. And he's in Eklund is in there, good and bad, multiple times. You know, Eklund has made multiple soft passes in the defensive zone on a breakout. You know, these are ones off the wall, up the middle, to the to the speed coming up the middle. And these are cardinal sin errors. These are cardinal sin errors because he's giving up the puck in the middle of the ice in the defensive zone. And so in on the balance, you know, William Eklund, he's been good in the NHL, but he hasn't been great. And so I'm okay with how he's been used. Um, again, too, with the, with the Sharks, too, like, who, you know, who should he be playing more on, on the wing? He's not going to play more than Timo Meyer, that's for sure. We can all agree that Timo Meyer has been, along with Couture, the best Sharks out there so far this season, mm-hmm. uh, at least up front. Uh, he's not going to play more than Dolan, just because Dolan is a fit for that line right now. You know, I would like to see what Eklund could do on that line. That actually would be interesting. But um, so, oh. so, and and I'll, I I will grant the other the other part of that argument that yeah, you know, Eklund hasn't been obviously better than anybody else. But it's not like the guys he's competing with for playing time. I'm talking about the non Meyer, non Dolan category of wingers. That's LeBanc, Balzers, uh, Barabanov, etc. You know, nobody has exactly lit the road on fire. So maybe why not give it to your rookie? I mean, I can see that argument. Um, I think the counter argument, though, is that for the number of offensive genius plays that Eklund makes, you know, you're not seeing a LeBanc uh, make that many mistakes on those breakouts. And guess what? Because LeBanc made those mistakes on his breakout in his rookie year, and he got his ass benched. Uh, in this case, the Sharks team isn't as deep as those teams that LeBanc played on when he was young, those good, you know, playoff caliber uh, Peter DeBoer teams. But, you know, it's all kind of a learning process, though. And it's not an automatic to me, at least, that Eklund deserves more playing time. Yeah, you also have to remember that Kevin LeBanc played with future Hall of Famer Joe Thornton on the third line for the San Jose Sharks as well in his young career. Um, Eklund will not get that opportunity or get that, that privilege, essentially, to, to learn or, or grow or just get passes or feed passes to one of the greatest Sharks and one of the greatest hockey players to ever play the game. Um I would be interested because we have talked about how top-heavy the Sharks are. You don't want to ever really break up chemistry, especially when it comes to your insanely, like, astronomically, totally not sustainably high analytics top line with uh, uh, Meyer, Dolan, and Couture there. But I'd be interested to see what a – if they had, like, a lead – like a very soft 10-goal lead on a team. <laughs> um, how it would look if they did deploy Eklund in Dolan's spot, move Dolan down to Hurdle, just to maybe a couple shifts to see if there's any sort of spark or maybe half a game or a period or whatever that might be. I feel like that would be interesting to see because it has been noted that with with better teammates, Eklund has succeeded. That's what we saw in the preseason. Um, but... I mean, you. I'm not gonna say like there's a big difference between going from a hurdle-driven line 
to a couture driven line. But I do think there is a, a big gap drop off from Timo Meyer to Rudolph's Balsers. So just interesting, or I would be interested to see just how that line would wor- work or even operate in that sense. Yeah, that, that that would be interesting. I, I you know, if we're just kind of doing uh, line configurations, uh, what I think I'd be interested in seeing is obviously you keep the first line together because they're just going, and you yeah. don't want to break. You want to squeeze as many goals as you can out of their hot streak while you can. Mm-hmm. But I actually would be interested in 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 seeing Hurdle uh, with maybe even less help, and uh, try him with maybe Barabanov and Eklund, and see what he can do with that, and try to stack him with more offensive starts, and then uh, put Balzers and LeBanc with Benino. And actually, was the plan actually? Well, I wouldn't say the plan, but I think that was the hope. Let's let's say that's a better word. That was actually the line. Uh, Balzers, uh, Benino, and LeBanc on the very first day of training camp. And actually, one line survived from the first day of training camp. And that's Le- that's uh, Meyer, Couture, and Dolan. They've been playing together since the very first day of training camp. And that first day is obviously, it's just the first day. A lot of changes are going to happen, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, but... I think that that's, you know, when and over the summer, you know, the, the Sharks are making up their plans, the coaches are talking, and I'm sure that that's sort of like what they were hoping could work out. And the reasons why they might hope that a LeBanc, Balzers, Benino line work out is because that gives you uh, suddenly a way more talented third line. You know, Balzers over a Nieto, at least on the offensive side, is a, is a big upgrade. Mm-hmm. And Balls is also too can play a fast game. He's a little bit bigger, so he can play a little bit of a heavy game. So he's a good kind of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say if there's anything that Balls does great, but he does a lot of things well. And so I think he's a well-rounded player. And obviously LeBanc is sort of a offensive specialist kind of guy. Yeah. So in combination, those those three can form a pretty good offensive third line. They can be a threat. Uh, Benino is obviously the defensive defensive conscience. I think uh, Balzers adds a little bit more of a of a defensive element to balance out LeBanc, as opposed to it's been suggested to me. Well, why not put Barry Bonoff in Yale's place, right? But I don't think Barry Barry Bonoff is great defensively. Um, I think Balzers is definitely better in that department. And so to ask uh, Benino to carry both LeBanc and Barry Bonoff defensively, I think is a little bit of a, a, a tough task. You know, I think so. I think then that puts a lot of pressure, of course, on uh, on Hurdle, uh, but maybe Hurdle can 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 do it. And we saw in this uh, in 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 this uh, road trip that you know maybe not, you know, because he had to kind of carry Eklund, had to kind of carry uh, Balzers, and then really quite you know quite coalesce on his road trip. But I think Hurdle is a good enough player that I think it's possible that he can pull it off. And so I, I, I wonder if that would be something that could work out. And if we're talking about the fourth line uh, here, then that pushes down Nieto and Cogliano um, with a Weatherby or a Peterson at center. And actually, speaking of training camp plans, that was the original plan from Bob Bugner. The first half of training camp, uh, Cogliano and Nieto played entirely with each other. We even talked to Bob about you know, what he was hoping to do with the fourth line. He talked about wanting a fourth line with identity, and he thought Nieto and Cogliano could, could do it together. And what kind of tripped that up was Barabanov didn't have a great camp, and so Barabanov couldn't 
couldn't fill a role somewhere. But, you know, now Barabanov is back and healthy. Hasn't been great in these first two games, but he showed some flashes. And so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, kind of, uh, you know, aspirationally here. You know, like I said, Bird Bonoff hasn't been great. You know, Eklund has just been good to me. You know, not great, just been good. Same thing with Hurdle this year. But does Hurdle have the talent? For sure. Uh, Eklund, you know, Eklund has the talent, but we don't know if he's ready. But I, I don't know. That's that's what what I'd like to see. Yeah, you know, you're brainstorming there. And then just think of the, the Better Business Bureau third line that we'd have. Banks, balls, and bones. Like, it would just be the greatest <laughs> night. Like, it'd be a great line name but i could see that working i mean we've talked about how hurdles gotten off to that slower start and if he could freight train this season to where he starts off slow but then just takes off you know allowing because we're we're under the presumption that william mecklin's going to play a full season for the san jose sharks we've talked about it before that uh, i mean that's that's my prediction but i mean yeah. i think that's very much a debate right now so i mean yeah i'm talking about in the big picture yeah, 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 we're we're operating off of that presumption. I think there's a good chance they, you know, Hurdle's a vet now. I mean, everyone likes to think of him as that young, aspiring, smiley face, four goal scorer, but he's not anymore. I mean, he still is always he's all smiles, but he's a little rough around the edges now. I mean, he scrapped it up in the first game against uh, Winnipeg. You know, he went to the box for it, but um. Should he even fought Mark Stone, I think, last season. That was crazy to watch. That was like a caveman versus the nicest guy on planet Earth. But um, just back to your point, I feel like diversifying that depth for the Sharks could lead to success. Now, or it could catastrophically fail, and they're stuck with essentially the same issue they had last year where they're a little too top-heavy and they can't find a s sustained offense throughout the bottom six. But you're not going to know until you try it. And um, back to your point again, I wanted to just finalize this, my, my thoughts on this talk really quickly. Um, Logan Couture actually said that he told Doug Wilson that he, when he saw Dolan playing in captain's ice, like he wanted to play with Dolan. He, he, he liked, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he had like a nose for the game and he liked his game and he wanted to play with Dolan. So I'm not surprised that Dolan got that Doug Wilson extended leash so even if he did make a couple mistakes here and there, he wasn't going to get shuffled through the blender. And you see with that consistent time on ice, that consistent playing time, the chemistry that is developed in that line. So if they could get that going with a couple of different lines, the one, two, and three lines, that top uh, top nine, essentially, those first nine skaters, the Sharks could be a, a good team, at least league average because that's what we're shooting for nowadays so that's <laughs> well, and i gotta say uh for hurdle if he wants to get his way to vegas to win a stanley cup he's got to step up his game <laughs> why would you say that <laughs> andrew Choi, i'm gonna clip this bit just for andrew i'm gonna send it to him like look shang dropped a little tidbit for you and he's just gonna be like oh yes <laughs> like, yeah yeah of course so shang next everyone's favorite topic of discussion this offseason but you know has has only been talked about in game due to its success so far and, and, you know i mean success compared to last year i mean shit that's not saying much but still success sharks goaltending 
Yeah, and I actually don't have a lot to add about it. The Sharks are 10th in save percentage right now, which is remarkable considering uh, where they've been. I touched on it in my three questions article today. The Sharks, the last time the Sharks were in the top 10 in goaltending in terms of save percentage was 2013-14 on Tiniemi. So that's a, quite a long time ago. And we'll just see in his home stand if he, if, if he can keep up. Uh, the only bad bit of goaltending we got was Aiden Hill in Boston. He got pulled for that. Uh, besides that, we've r- received really blameless goaltending yeah. <laughs> for, for five or six games, which um, is is not something that obviously could have been said a lot uh, in the Martin Jones uh, era or the last three years of the Martin Jones regime. So just see if you can keep up. Yeah, the the only thing that Sharks have been top ten in in uh, goaltending in the last couple of years is top ten in goals allowed, as in allowing the most goals, <laughs> or allowing the most beach balls, because that's what was getting by Martin Jones the last three years, um, and, and I believe Martin Jones comes to visit the Sharks on December thirtieth. So if he starts that game, that's a free W. I mean, I'd prop bet that right now on DraftKings if I was anyone. <laughs> Hit the money line, shoot the over, whatever you got to do, hurdle, hat trick, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but, yeah, goaltending has been good. And yep. that's the first time I've been able to say that in years, so that's been nice to say. Um, shades of Martin Jones in that game against Boston, like you said, a little, like, scary. I was like, ah, he doesn't look like he's ready for that 10 a.m. start. I don't blame him. It's been a long road trip, and he's never really been relied on heavily. But Couture did say that if they're having fatigue problems this early in the season – they have bigger issues to to deal with. So um, interesting to see how they divvy up the workload, continuing to do like a two and one, three and one approach between Aiden Hill and James Reimer. At any point that uh, I don't want to say assertion because that's a very word, a very wrong way to use that word, but that designation of like role could switch easily. If Aiden Hill has a couple bad games, you could easily see James Reimer, uh, Optimus Rhyme, take over as the. Uh, contingent or the incumbent like uh, starting goaltender essentially they're still they're still going to run that 1a 1b so we're shooting for league average and we're currently top 10 so nothing but uh nothing but smiles here so i would say that pretty much wraps up sharks talk as far as what fans listeners and uh those of us watching these games can look forward to on the upcoming homestand so the boys are going to be at home i expect them to be uh, significantly better. If they're not, I'm going to chastise them. Just kidding. Um, we are actually introducing a uh, a new little segment here. It's a quick blip, nothing to take up too much time here or anything like that, but it's something that we feel like we can offer you that maybe some others can't. And that is going to be um, our, and I say our, but courtesy of Shang, uh, Sport Logic Stat of the Week. You might courtesy see of Sport Logic. Yeah, well, yeah, courtesy of Sport Logic, but you're providing me with the number to say I'm, I'm not subscribed to them, but you are. Um, San Jose Hockey is, now is paying for these numbers, yes. Yes, exactly. So uh, a lot of you guys will see Shang's tweets or in his articles that he writes up, he references Sport Logic uh, to give specific stats that you won't see on NHL.com. And you showed me the sheet, and I said, holy sheet. There's a lot of numbers on this sheet. And um, we're going to kind of pinpoint or or pick a stat that we felt was or we feel is important or we feel has a could be uh, misconstrued. So that's that's one that I wanted to pick. I wanted to pick the, the first one, and it's average offensive zone possession time. Some of you might know uh, or might have known that I had a tweet 
after the game. It's like the Sharks could not sustain offensive zone possession. It just did not seem like the Sharks could sustain any sort of real possession time against uh, Nashville. And it's highlighted here in this stat. The Sharks are dead last in the NHL in average offensive zone possession time. At, at five four, on five. At five on five, yes. I, I will pay. You know, everything's pretty much going to be five on five because special teams is too skewed. Um, so dead last in NHL in average offensive zone possession time at even strength at four minutes, 49 seconds. And to compare that to the team they just recently faced in the National Predators, they're at 12, uh, 12th in the league at six minutes, 40 seconds. So Shane, we kind of touched on this a little bit and let's just briefly talk about this. I complained about it on Twitter because it seemed like the Sharks couldn't generate any sustained offense without that offensive uh, possession. Uh, but you brought up another point that was pretty interesting as well. Well, it's just that it's actually by some degree to it's by design. And I don't think the Sharks want to be last yeah. in this category. But I don't think they're trying to be first in this category either. You know, where they're trying to be first in is, and I've written about this, is on the forecheck. And the idea with the Sharks' forecheck is to dump it in. They lead the league in dumping percentage. To dump it in, get the puck back, get a good chance on net. And do it all quickly because there is data that suggests that you want to score quickly on entry into the zone. You know, basically, you don't want to give – if you're in the zone too long, what does that do? Well, that's great. You have the puck and you wear it on the opposition. Those are all good things. But what happens on the other side is that the defense gets to get set. And so you want some degree of a, kind of a quick strike mentality. Dump the puck in, get it back, get it back to the point, shoot it, have somebody in front of the net. That's that. Um, score, so, preferably. Score, the end pref of that. Yeah, preferably <laughs> score. So that is, I believe, what the Sharks are trying to do. And that's why offensive zone possession time and, you know, something else that we could talk about some other time, but rush chances are things that the Sharks do not excel, excel at. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's partly by design, partly because they're trying to cater to what they think are the strengths of their team. And you can argue, you know, you, you can go either way uh, about that. But we can use the Couture line as an example of that. The Couture line is definitely, that's their strength, being on the forecheck. And that also includes Timo Meyer too, Couture and Timo Meyer. And that's a big part of why they've been so successful this season. Now, you might argue that maybe the other lines, maybe they should need to or need to play a slightly different way. I don't know. But this is the strategy that's favored by uh, by Bob Bugner. And so, again, so I'm not saying that the Sharks want to be last in this category. So you're right to have noted it the last game. But it's not. It's, but it's not their goal to be a top team in this area. That's for sure. And, again, that's by design. Yeah, I don't think that they would um, hate to be around where Nashville's sitting at, somewhere around six to six and a half minutes of uh, average offensive zone possession time at five on five. Um, or at least, like you said, not last. So um, we'll see. We might we might do a little checkup on that in a couple of weeks um, or reference back to it to see if it's improved or if it stayed the same. And, and it 
does it correlate with how the Sharks have been scoring off the rush or how they haven't been scoring off the rush? So, again, we're uh, we're going to introduce this Sport Logic stat of the week. We're introducing it this week. We're going to maybe alternate picking stats. We'll see. Uh, but we're going to bring that to you, the listeners, as something unique, something that we can bring that uh, that piques your interest, essentially. So. I think that pretty much wraps up today's Sharks Talk, Shane. We had a lot to kind of get into, a lot to dissect. Small sample size, yes. Uh, early in the season, yes. Teams that are like struggling right now that you don't expect to struggle, and then teams that are succeeding right now that you didn't expect to succeed, yes. The law of averages means that everything's going to kind of average out. We talked about it with the Couture line earlier. We've talked about it with everything. We expect this sport logic stat to average out. We expect sure. the sharks to average out. Um, that's how the law of aver- averages works. So um, look forward to these things that we've talked about. Pay attention to Nick Benino. Pay attention to the deployment of Eric Carlson. Uh, the shot heavy power play. Just kind of note all these things. It's something that uh, you, as Sharks fans, the listeners, can can see or or pay attention to to make the game even a little bit more exciting. Because that's how I've kind of gotten into it. Uh, being going from fan to to podcaster here with Shang. So, uh, Shang, unless there's something else you got for the folks at home, I think we're pretty much ready to cut her off and get her going. Yep, gotta go walk Mushu. Yeah, Mushu's calling. I can feel the pressure hounding me right now. Um, All right. um, Really quick, just referencing back to what we talked about earlier in the episode. And I say it at the end of every every episode, and I mean it when I say take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Of course, stay hydrated, obviously. But most importantly, um, take care of yourselves and your loved ones and be there for your fellow man, woman, and child.